Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Onward, my brave Hawkmen. Let this be known forever as Flash Gordon's Day. Hello and welcome to Three Guys in a Flick. This is where we review the good, the bad, and the absurd. Beware spoilers. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. How are you guys Good doing? Evening. Good. Excellent. Yeah, I knew you would be. I knew you would be. Uh, as always, I am your host, Don, broadcasting to you from my basement. To my right, we have the web and comic book guy, John. Doing good. That's an understatement. <laughs> and to my left, we have the professor, Ken. Good evening. Tonight, we are talking about Flash Gordon, released on December 5th, 1980, directed by Mike Hodges. Uh, the soundtrack and music was done by Queen. So, yeah. Oh, amazing. Great, great, great. Um, <clears throat> for those of you who follow us, which, thank you. Um, this is actually John's first movie that he got to pick. We've done a couple of podcasts here and there. We've done, what, five of your movies, Don, and three of your movies, Ken, and we uh-huh. finally, we randomly draw our movies. We finally drew one of my movies that was in the hat. Yeah, And we drew the 1980 film Flash Gordon. I'm surprised John's sitting still. And not to be confused with Flesh Gordon, this is Flash Gordon. So I don't want anybody running out there and searching for the wrong movie. It's, thank you for the clarification. Oh, absolutely. We, I'm here to help. Good, good. Um, all right. So let's talk about this flick. John, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, Flash well, Gordon? A little bit of background on Flash Gordon? Absolutely. Flash Gordon started as a comic strip back in 1934. It was meant to compete with Buck Rogers at the time. The whole idea of it back, you know, a newspaper strip, very colorful, very campy, uh, the characters were, you know, drawn out. The, you know, it, it's continued on. It became like TV serials, movie serials. Always just about this character who, you know, was a superhero, but yet he was a guy without powers. You know, he was just a normal athletic human being. Uh, he was back then a polo player who graduated from Yale. So I thought that was an interesting little combination that they had. I guess they decided polo wasn't interesting enough these days, so they had to make him a football player for the New York Jets. Uh, Dino De Laurentiis, who produced this film, I mean, he just loved this character so much, he got the rights to this movie. And he held on to him for a long time, wanting to make a movie that had humor and the campiness of you know the original serials, the comic book strip, and the colors and everything else. He, he had a vision in his mind of exactly how he wanted this movie to be made. Tried a bunch of different writers and different directors to see if he could find one. Couldn't find one that he liked. He was even approached in 1970 by George Lucas who wanted to make a Flash Gordon film. He wanted to make what's known as a space opera. And Dino uh, turned him down. He didn't like George Lucas's ideas for this movie. He also thought that, that George Lucas would make it too serious. And he wanted humor. So George Lucas then went on to make another film that's you know a little better known, I believe, called Star Wars. Have you heard of that one? 
Uh, yeah, yeah, I have come to think of it. Oh, yeah. Now, okay. a lot of people claim, and I know we're all going to agree here, that if it wasn't for Flash Gordon, there may have never been a Star Wars. Bullshit. There will be swearing, by the way. Don, Ken, would you like to explain why? I, I find myself compelled to think that, yes, the comic strip does inspire George Lucas with his science fiction fantasy and the science fiction fantasy that he eventually goes on to create, Star Wars, I'm perfectly willing to concede, is inspired in part by comic strips such as Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers. Absolutely. But to say that the movie Flash Gordon, created in 1980, inspired a 1976 movie, yeah, that's a stretch for me. I don't think that's what I was saying, though, Ken. What I was no. saying, imagine this. Okay, let's, go, let's backtrack. 1970, George Lucas goes to Dino De Laurentiis and says, I want to make Flash Gordon. Let's say Dino said, green light, go make the movie. Would there have ever been a Star Wars? I think there was going to be a Star Wars regardless. I don't know. I think he would have made Flash Gordon, which was the original plan when it would, with what Dino wanted to have two sequels minimum. I think George Lucas may have made the Flash Gordon. If it had done well, he would have then gone straight on to the sequels, which means... If there was to be a Star Wars, it would probably be another decade later before it first came out. To say that Star Wars wasn't going to happen because George Lucas didn't get to make Flash Gordon, I think is a stretch, in my opinion. Well, what, like I said, not if he didn't make What if George Lucas had made it? We're not playing the what if game. <clears throat> he didn't. Uh, Laurentis turned him down. Yeah. You know? Um, <clears throat> George Lucas has often been quoted saying that Flash Gordon has been an inspiration right um <clears throat> i see where you guys are both coming from and technically ken you're 100 percent correct a 1980s movie cannot inspire a 1976 was that when star wars was 76 i believe so. 76 yeah yeah why was i thinking 78 what came out in 78 oh the movie that beat star wars as the number one movie of all time at that a empire <clears throat> no that was 82 empire oh, came out around Jaws. the same time as oh, yeah um so, yes, technically, uh, time travel doesn't happen here. And so I see what you're saying. I also see what you're saying. Um, but, yeah, if George Lucas got to make his Flash Gordon, I don't know if it would have the Star Wars element in it. And, and what I mean by that is I don't think Flash somehow becomes Luke Skywalker, right? Luke Skywalker and the whole... Skywalker family story that Lucas came up with that was his creation. But when did he start thinking about it? When did he start creating it in his mind? That I do not know. Uh, I only was it before he or after he got turned down for Flash Gordon? That's a question for Lucas. Yeah. And that'd be curious to know. Yeah, because like I said, maybe getting turned down for Flash Gordon inspired him to create his own space opera. Well, he, he was going to make his space opera anyway. He, he he wanted the chance to make Flash Gordon, but it wasn't in the cards. And lucky for us, I mean, at least for three film, it happened that way. But, <clears throat> you know, like Ken said, I don't can't play the what if game. I what, can. What, what if the Titanic didn't hit the iceberg? Exactly. Yeah. That's what, covered in a Supernatural episode. Because if it never would have hit the iceberg, would we ever have a Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio? We might have been spared from that movie. We might have been spared from Leonardo DiCaprio, period. 
And we could have gotten all that time back to do something else. Cancer could have been cured while all those people were watching Titanic. All right. Now I think you are stretching a tad bit. All right. Uh, Getting us back on track. So speaking of connections between Star Wars and Flash Gordon, something that I discovered is there's at least seven actors who were in both films. They were in the Flash Gordon movie and they were in some of the Star Wars movies. Are you, do you know with any of them? Uh, a, a few of them. Now, when you say actor, uh, that's on screen, uh, on screen time, right? Yes. Uh, aren't a lot of them stuntmen? No, I'm not talking about any of the stuntmen. I'm talking about actual people who had FaceTime in the film as actors and have actors seven acting them, huh? credit. At least seven. At least seven. Okay. I've got Max von Sydow, yes. who's Ming the Merciless and the old guy in The Force Awakens. Yep. I got, um, I guess the only way I can describe him is as uh, Lieutenant Porkman. Yeah. He's an X-Wing fighter. Porkins. Porkins. He was also Hudson or Houston or Munson. Yes, he was Munson, the lab Munson. assistant okay. in Flash Gordon. And then uh, I got Lando's Lobot. I didn't know if you'd make that connection. Who is one of the go- dudes with the early VR glasses. I thought that was interesting that he had almost the same role in both films. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, who else we got? I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Can you got anybody? Nope. We have Kenny Baker. Are you familiar with that? Oh, we have R2-D2. He was R2-D2. He played one of the uh, vertically challenged people in the film. I love when they stab. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And we have uh, the other people that I wrote down was uh, Brian Blessed. He was Hawkman. He was uh, Prince Voltan. Who was, he, who was he in Star Wars? Boss Nass. Yes, yes, he was. He was Boss Ness yes, in episode one. You said Max von Saito, who was Ming. Also, he was Lor Santaka. I guess that was his Jedi name in that in episode seven. Well, he died really quick. They didn't explain who he was, so fuck them. Yeah, there was a guy named Burnell Tucker who played a just a rebel soldier. Derek Lyons, who played a temple guard, and you mentioned William Host. Hotkins, Hotkins, Porkins. That's who he played. Oh, Porkins, yeah. The X-Wing um, fighter. So, yeah, I think we got most of them. I think there was even more of them, more background characters who were in both films. So I thought it was interesting. They kind of, you know, went with the you know the various pool. Yeah, but I'm pretty sure you say it as, do you know how many people were in Star Wars first who were then in Flash Gordon? Oh, that's oh. A curious, yeah. That's, that's I just said first. had been in both mm. movies at some point. Mm. Well, is what I said. Empire came out in '82. Yeah, and that's where we meet the Lobot. So, well, R two D two, we met him in the very first movie. Right? No, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. A lot of them were and in the Porkins. first movie. Yeah, a lot of them are in the first movie. Yeah, there's only like what I think three or four that were in the first movie. Yeah. Hey, Don, how did this movie do? Uh, it was made for tw- anywhere from twenty to twenty-seven million, and in the box office, it did twenty-seven point one. So it made point one million dollars. Well, the interesting thing too is it made fourteen million in the UK, which is actually big for the UK. Do you know why it did so well in the UK? I'm guessing because he's Flash Gordon. Mm, that wasn't the reason I heard. Oh, why? Who did the music? Oh, Queen. And are they when they are a British band? Yes, yes, they are. So the fans just went crazy for Flash Garden over in the UK. Yeah, yeah. Not the first time that the soundtrack was <clears throat> better than the film. Um, 
so uh dabbing at me already let's uh let's talk about the film a little bit you want to give us you love this flick dude i can see the the gleam in your eyes the way that i look at this film is and normally you know me i watch a film for the content and and how it relates to comic books and and the storyline and all that totally not this movie you threw that right out the window i look at this movie for how did they the direct, how did the director and producer want to make the movie and did they accomplish their goal this movie was made to look like a 1930s newspaper comic it was meant to have super bright colors i mean they really brought out the colors in it just like you would in a comic book strip back then it was made that you could almost take any frame of the movie pause it put little thought bubbles or speech bubbles above their head and just put it right on a comic book strip that's it's and the goal of it, which is really funny, is it's supposed to be campy and humorous, but also a serious action movie, and that's where I think they start to run into problems. You watch it once or twice, you can't help but first of all quote the dialogue. I mean, everybody knows some line from this movie, and it also created this thing that you say the word flash, you almost feel obliged to go ah right afterwards. And that's a good point. <clears throat> I've, I've actually heard that in places yeah. like and, Comic-Con. And the soundtrack is just amazing. I mean, I owned you know, a lot of Queen albums. The Flash Gordon album was one of my favorites. Right. I will say second favorite, or actually it was probably the second favorite to the Highlander soundtrack, but we'll get into that another day. Oh my God, it's in the helmet, isn't it? I, I, I can neither confirm nor deny that. I guess it is. Fucking Highlander. Another awesome. Dino De Laurentiis movie. Yeah. But yeah, he was a he's pretty big back in the Also 80s, an amazing 90s. Queen soundtrack. Yeah. An interesting thing with that too, and I had to look this up because I guess I didn't really know my dates very well. Prince Voltan at one point says, Oh well, who wants to live forever? Which is a big song and a big line from Highlander. So I always thought before, you know, for some reason in my head, that maybe Highlander came out before this movie. No, it was like another six, seven years before Highlander came out. Oh, yeah. So I don't, now I have to wonder, did that line inspire the Queen song, Who Wants to Live Forever? Interesting question. Now, a little background, and I know I'm, I'm talking a lot. No, no, no. But Jeez. a little background. One of the reasons I love this movie so much is I have a friend named Nate. Nate and I grew up watching this film. I mean, I first time I saw it was in 1980. Uh, probably with Nate. Nate and I have this thing that every time one of us sees it appear on TV, we call the other one. He lives in New York now. We call each other and we say, turn it on and watch it. And we watch it at the same time every time it's on. It's just, it's something that just from our childhood that brings back all those fun memories. We also quote it to each other back and forth. So that it's just, it's just one of my all-time favorites. So That's awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But anyway, we were supposed to talk about plot, weren't we? <laughs> you know what? <clears throat> that is a great story, and I'm glad you shared that with us. Yeah. That's fantastic. It's always, I mean, that's what movies do, right? They they form a bond, and they affect your life. And if you love movies, and you know what John's talking about. Mm-hmm. So, good on you. Now, now you, you can go ahead and shit all over it. <laughs> well, I didn't <laughs> want to say it like that, but let's talk about it. Okay, so Flash Gordon uh starts with a voiceover right and um what's uh it's about a new york 
jet quarterback Flash Gordon getting on a plane with a travel agent, Dale, flying somewhere. Uh, at the same time, uh, we meet a scientist who is studying uh, what's going on uh, on Earth at the moment. Uh, the earthquakes, natural disasters sort of things. And, and we know as the audience that this is Ming, the merciless, who's coming to Earth and is going to destroy it. So Flash and Dale take off. They crash the plane into, doctor. what's the doctor's name? Tarkov, played by Topol. Topol, yeah. Who was famous for? Fiddler uh, on the Roof. Fiddler on the Roof, yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm impressed. Um, now, the big thing I thought, Don, you would harp on most, because you tend to be most critical about mistakes in films. Yeah. And little things. And do you know where I'm going with this one? Maybe. Let me, <clears throat> can I guess? Uh, yes. Okay. So, uh, on the airstrip, when... Um, Flash is about to get on the airplane. Uh, he notices Dale pull up in a cab, and Dale is the female protagonist of the film. Uh, and he rolls down his window in the car he's sitting in. Well, she gets out and boards the plane, and he gets out and boards the plane. He left his window rolled down. Is that where you were? No, I wouldn't say that's a mistake. I think that's just a dumb football player. And sorry if I'm insulting football players, but that's just a dumb, dumb okay, move. Hey, why did he roll down the window in the first place? I, I don't know, especially with the hot hail coming along. Right. So no, the mistake, I, I would call that continuity. The, the mistake I was talking about was in the beginning, you talked about the quote where Ming says he's bored. Right. And then he asks what the name of this planet is. And, and Clytus tells him this is the planet Earth. So then they show a shot of all the buttons they're pushing for the natural disasters. He's basically making the moon go out of orbit, which is causing all of these natural disasters on the planet. So he goes and they start pushing the different buttons. One of the buttons says earthquake. Why would they label it earthquake if he didn't know what the name of the planet was? Well, you just said that the name of the planet was Earth. But Clytus had to tell him the name of the planet was Earth. And then he pushes the earthquake button. Yeah. I, I thought that was a little odd. I just thought, why is all that in English? That's a good point, too. There's a lot of that in this movie of, you know, maybe, maybe we learned Earth or English from them. Maybe they're the ones who populated Earth. That's why we look like them. Maybe it's just a fucking horrible movie. It just can't be. <laughs> uh, we pick up with Flash and Dale are in this plane. All these natural disasters are happening. Uh, the plane crashes into Dr. Zoloff's laboratory just happens to be the one nasa expert who was fired uh and knows exactly what's going on they crash into his place yes. it's not zoloff what's his last name zarkov zarkov okay so zarkov kidnaps uh flash and dale puts him in a rocket because they're going to go investigate what's going on with the world and the atmosphere and then they get they fly which it looked like the effects were so, I mean, it looked like they cut it out of paper mache. It looked like an episode of South Park is what it kind of looked like to me uh, with the background. They and, did not and, spend their budget on special effects. They did not have chroma key back then. But, so they couldn't cut out the effects. And if you watch it, yeah, there's a lot of clipping and things. But what they actually did was it was colored sand and water. Is how they made the skies and all that. So they made the ships look like that on purpose. To match the, to look like they were out of like the 1960s little movie serials. It reminded me of the Thunderbirds. You guys remember the Thunderbirds? A mm -hmm. lot of people mm -hmm. have made that comparison. So uh, 
Flash and team fly to the planet Mongo. 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 And this is where we they are captured. And this is where we are introduced to our antagonist, Ming the Merciless, played by Max Fans von Saidu. Saidu. Yeah. What'd you think of Max as our villain? I want to hear Ken's thoughts. He was my favorite character. I he he I he was really fun to watch on the screen. I really like Max von Sydow's uh, representation of Ming. I have to agree with you 100%. I think he was my favorite uh, character in the movie, too. Although I did like Clytus. Clytus was good, too. I was always compelled when he was on the screen. Yeah. And for a moment there, I thought he was Jeremy Irons. Yeah. I was kind of thinking that, too. He has that I, voice. I always felt that, too. Yeah. That's what I was thinking when I, I watched it. Oh. Um so yeah, and Clytus was not in the original source material. He was thought up for this movie. Yeah, For me, I agree with you. Ming is probably one of my favorite characters. Brian Blessed, who plays Prince Voltan, is probably my favorite character because he just so overacted every single scene he was in. It just brings a smile to your face. But of the best actor in the entire film, Definitely Max von Sydow playing Ming. He was uh, just absolutely fantastic. He was wearing a costume that weighed 70 pounds, so he couldn't stand for very long. He still got all his parts out. There was a documentary that's currently on Amazon Prime called Life After Flash. How long is that? I meant to watch that. It's about, I think, an hour and 20 minutes. It's an excellent thing. And they talked about, you know, one of the things that Sam Jones mentioned was so great about Max von Sydow is that he would go to whenever Flash or Sam was doing one of his scenes that didn't like was supposed to be with Ming, but they were only focusing on him. Max would show up in full costume and would read his part to Sam. And Sam was like, Max, you don't need to wear the costume. You're not being shown in the scene. He says, I will be in full character and I will always give it my best when I'm doing a reading with you. He goes, because you're going to do the same for me. Max von Sydow was definitely a treat of this film. And I, and I do agree with you. Brian Blessed's character, uh, Prince Voltan, was uh, awesome as well. Uh, I, find, I found myself smiling when he was on screen. And because the character, the character was full of life and loud. And, and for a moment when I was watching it, I thought for sure that Brian Blessed played Pluto or Bluto from the Popeye film mm. with Robin Williams, mm -hmm. but he did not. I don't know. Just lines like Gordon's alive. Yeah. And mm. my Hawkman dive. Yeah. Just everything that this guy did was just hilarious. Did you know that that scene where he's in his like kingdom area and they're getting ready to have the big battle between your know, flash and uh, Timothy Daltrey's character or Dalton's character, Prince Baron, that when he walks by Dale and he gooses Dale, and she reacts and stares at him like angrily. That was improvised. Oh, he did that on purpose? Yeah, he did it on purpose. She was not expecting that. The other funny thing about, and you can almost see this with, with Brian Blessed, is that um, I don't know if this was one of his first sci-fi kind of films that he was doing. He, what he would do in almost all of his scenes is they'd give him a big gun, like, and he would fly around and run around, and he'd be shooting people, and there was a little light that came out the front. But every time he pulled the trigger, he'd make the sounds, pew, 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 pew. And the directors kept having to call cut, because they kept saying, Brian, we're going to put, put the sounds in later. We, we don't need you to make the sounds. That's funny. Uh, do you know what else he was in? I knew I knew him from somewhere. And, but it wasn't Bluto. He didn't play him in the Popeye film. Do you know where he did? Do you know what he was in? 
No. What do you know him for? I recognized him as Lord Loxley from Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. He plays Kevin Costner's father. Oh. Uh, I could see that. Yeah. Interesting tidbit. So uh, our protagonists are on the planet Mongo. And now we have the big scene with the football fight. Right. So in Ming's palace. Yeah. So this is kind of where it, the budget was spent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. So Flash Gordon is a prisoner and he is ordered to be taken into custody. And as any good football player does, turns it into a game of football. Why, John? It's hard to say. I think this is where we start to really add in the campy humor in that we get Flash is getting beat up in the beginning by all of these guards. And then Zarkov throws him this egg that shaped, you know, tribute item. And he's like, oh yeah, now I get it. I can be a football player. And he starts knocking everybody down. And you can kind of see Prince Volton in the background knocking out one of the guards. And and this is really where the uh, writers got paid because you get lines like this. You know, I'm going to have to disagree with you on that. She improvised that line. Oh, I know she improvised it. So even the writers didn't get paid for that one. <laughs> Which I, it's just so hilarious. I mean, when I talked to my friend about it, just all of a sudden she becomes not Dale the travel agent, but Dale the cheerleader. Yeah. And that musical score, I don't think Queen was responsible for that score. I think uh, that was probably who, um, Howard Blake. Yeah. Who wrote the non-lyrical music in in the score yeah uh which is funny because i don't know if you heard he had only 10 days to write his all of his parts oh good grief and he was apparently sick as a dog during that time and and you know what i don't want to be that guy but it kind of sounds like it or the instrumental score i found myself laughing at and when i start laughing at that then i'm kind of you know taken out of the moment you know what line the writers did get paid for that just, again, shows the campiness of this movie was when uh, Ming talks to Clytus and says, Are your men on the right pills? Maybe you should execute that traitor. Just back to the whole football thing. I think the whole reason for the football thing this is the only real attempt that we get to show Flash Gordon as a superhero. Yeah, because he does nothing else in this film. What about the fight scene at the Hawkman Kingdom? Uh, what did he do? With the whips. He, oh. Does that make him a superhero? He still fought with little spikes coming up and the, the platform tilting. <clears throat> okay, so he gets, they get captured. Uh, we're at Ming's Dynasty, and uh, Dale is taken off to be one of his concubines. Uh, the scientist Zarkov is taken off to get his mind erased and Flash Gordon is put to death. Well, let me ask this real quick, though. During the throne room scene and as we're getting to the scene, Ken, being that this is one of the first times you said you've seen this movie? Were no, you, I, I saw it originally on oh, VHS. On VHS. Were you feeling drawn in at this part or were you feeling like, oh, my God, this is going to be a rough one? Um, it was every bit as lackadaisical as I remembered it to be the first oh. time I saw it. Don? Any opinions at this point? Like the did the football scene add to the entertainment, or did it take away from the sh- the movie? Well, I guess you would have to have it be entertaining in order for the entertainment to be taken from it. 
So you're saying though, at this point, you're not entertained at all. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Um, in fact, I'm angry while I'm watching this. I'm angry at you <laughs> for making me watch the 1980 movie Flash Gordon. The whole thing, <clears throat> I think what it is for me is uh, it's such a cult classic and everybody loves it. I don't get it. I, I mean, did you see it in 1980 or did you watch it on VHS? Oh, I watched it on VHS and I remember distinctly watching it. And I remember the soundtrack. I remember that song, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but watching it again last night. Yeah. It was hard to sit through my friend. But even when you know that it's the whole goal was to be extremely campy with these one liners and the colors and the comic book and the fact that it was supposed to look like a newspaper going into that meant nothing. No. Okay. So I'll give you this. There were moments of the film that were kind of entertaining. And uh, I liked the bit about when they were in the Ewok village. Um, I thought it was more like Dagobah personally. It was both. Okay. Like when they first get there, you can see where other films were influenced by this film when they're in Ming's palace. And Dale's getting, so Flash Gordon is dead. Dale attempts to escape. And whilst in escape, she is going through a hallway. And in this hallway, she is facing some of the guards. Uh, The way it's framed, the way it's moved, the first thing I thought of was uh, the first Matrix. When Trinity and Neo go get Morpheus, there's that hallway scene with all those pillars. And they do the cartwheel. Yep. So I think that uh, the Wachowski siblings loved Flash Gordon, and I thought that they kind of paid homage to that. I could see that being how they got there with that. Now, you referenced Ewok Village, and we mentioned Dagobah. Return of the Jedi didn't come out until after this movie. Do you think it influenced Return of the Jedi at all? I think some of the production design did, um, because even Mongo City Voltan would... Do they have names for their planets so the the planet where voltan's from it's one big planet called mongo mongo has a bunch of moons where actually which are actually floating islands right and the fleet floating island is a kingdom right so the one that the kingdom that uh voltan's prince uh, of very you- clearly uh cloud city mm-hmm. right even mm-hmm. the way they approach it uh, the way they kind of uh framed it very i can see george lucas going oh that's pretty awesome or at least talking to the production designer of flash gordon uh we mentioned the ewok village so uh prince barkin baron baron prince baron that's his he's king of the, he's robin hood king of the tree people mm-hmm. uh very much uh they're in the trees which is the ewok village and down on the the ground of the planet or moon is very much dagobah yeah right so again i think the production designer and George Lucas talked or maybe Lucas even ripped it off. Who knows? Yeah. One of the biggest problems I think with this movie, and you kind of touched on this is half the staff was Americans. Half the staff was Italians. There was a communication problem. The Americans wanted to make the movie as funny and campy as possible. The Italians thought the movie was supposed to be a serious action movie. And so they kept debating it. The cast has even gone on to say this was probably the most expensive improvised movie ever made because a lot of the scenes they just came with as they came up with as they were filming it. 
So that's probably why you get a lot of your feel of disjointed and you're just almost painful. Well, yeah, and it feels like it. Mm-hmm. When you got down to the planet, which looked like Dagobah, and Flash falls into the quicksand, and then he battles the little monster. Did it make you feel like Princess Bride? And oh. the R-O-U-S's and yeah. the, what was it the, what they call the forest? The remember? forest. Of, we did, Ken and I taught a class about the Princess Bride. What was the forest of sorrows? Forest of, to all you Princess Bride fans out there, I apologize. Mm. But, but anyway, it, that to me felt like maybe that inspired a little bit of the Princess Bride. Rob Reiner. Yeah, inspired him in that that big swamp creature was. Well, that was based on a book originally too. Yeah, which I guess was a pretty dark book. Mm-hmm. What was the forest called? Damn it! <laughs> All right, back to Flash. So, um, and we we should probably tell you that after Flash dies, he is brought back to life by the uh, Emperor's Sul- daughter, Sultry Princess Aura. Yeah, he was given a drug before he went to the gas chamber that basically kept him alive so moving right along flash is alive he uh with the princess with the princess with her help they escape and go to a different uh floating kingdom i think it's a borea i think is the name something like that. i think yeah i think it is a borea that's Um, the that's the tree people because you know what i was bored um so we get to that planet uh the prince is played by a young timothy dalton what do you uh, think of his character? I thought he was uh, Robin Hood, and he Timothy Dalton. As bad as the acting is in this film, and the acting is bad in this film, uh, he he's kind of a, a bright light. He you can tell he was trained and he knows what he's doing, and he's giving it his all. And good for him, right? Do you do you know who he was? Who his inspiration was for that character? No, who? Errol Flynn. I can see that. See, from the mustache that he had and everything, he he told the director he was going to play it like Errol Flynn. Yeah, I can see it. I can totally see it. What do you think, Ken? Uh, I enjoyed Timothy Dalton on screen. His character was a little over the top, which was typical of everybody else in the movie being a little over the top. So it was just sort of a, yeah, I like Timothy Dalton, but oh, brother. I kind of felt like of all the actors... You know, him and Max Seidel are the only two who took the movie seriously. Like, we're seriously acting. The rest of them were just like, I'm in a movie that's a comedy. Who showed up for work? These two played the serious characters. Yeah. Well, I, I, a case could be made that Brian Blessed came in and he played the character the way he was instructed to play the character because he, he kind of... He, but doesn't he always kind of play that kind of a character anyway? Oh, I'm not sure. All I really know him is from is well, Robin Hood. In the documentary, The uh, Life After Flash, Brian Bless said that he grew up as a child pretending to be Prince Voltan because he was a big fan of Flash Gordon. And so he, all of his life, was playing up the character and playing one of the Hawkman and so excited. And then he, when he got cast with it, he was so excited to play that part that he had to overact it because that's the way Voltan was in the original serials. Well, I did not know that. No. Good for him. Yeah, it was it, it was a life ambition to play that character. And it looked like he was having fun playing the character, and, and that's always nice to see, even mm-hmm. in a movie like this. Like this. That's a, what, cut number three, cut number four on me? Oh, it, it, we're not, still finding room for more, more stabbing? Speaking of cuts, let's talk about the costuming of this film. It was like a Broadway production. It kind of was. The handmade costumes that they did all the beating work by hand. 
Well, not even that. Let's talk about the lizard man costume. Oh my god, that one's horrible. I will give you that one. Yeah. Every time that one killed me. Every time I saw the lizard man on screen, freaking ridiculous. I was reminded to myself again. Was this an elementary school production? Fucking John. The only reason I can get past that is when I looked at that, I thought, okay, well, maybe this isn't people like lizards who have eyeballs in their mouth, but it's a group of people who have killed lizards and are wearing their skin, and that's why you're seeing the eyes what out the mouth. That's the, that's the only, that's the only <clears throat> way I can get past it. I agree, I agree. It looked so rubbery. The costume was so ridiculous. But again, the movie is supposed to be over-the-top campy. Over the top so much that it, I don't know, it just didn't look, it It looked like you said, Ken, it looked like a high school or a middle school production. Play, production I mean, this, this movie was supposed to also have tiger people and shark people, and they at least cut those two out. Lucky for us? I suppose. I mean. All right, so moving right along, Flash is in Aboria. He wants to team up with Prince... Barkin. Baron. Baron. Prince Baron. Take, take a drink every time he says Barkin. There you go. Uh, he wants to team up with Prince Baron and take down Ming. Uh, so eventually he convinces them to do so. Then they mm. unite forces with... That doesn't happen right away. Then they join you're forces jump, with... You, you're jumping ahead real fast because of the fact that this movie was so painful for you. You're trying to get through it quick. Because no, he has to go through the whole test of you know, sticking his arm in the tree. What's uh, in the tree, John? It's like a wood scorpion. I forgot what they call it, a tree scorpion mm-hmm. that's supposed to stab you and cause you great pain and madness. And what happens during that duel? Because this is the f- one of two times that uh, Flash and Prince Barkin... Um, Barkin? Drink. <laughs> Prince Baron uh, have a confrontation. Well, the... The great thing that I loved about this scene, and I don't know if you caught it the first time, is when you know Flash had already seen someone get killed sticking his arm in this tree thing. He escapes his prison. Flash comes in and is told he's got to put his arm in this thing. And Flash immediately says, no way, I'm never going to do that. There's no way I'm going to do that. And Baron goes, what are you, a coward? Okay, I'm going to stick my arm in the thing. It took one line from Baron before he's like, okay, well, you called me a coward. Now i got to stick my arm in there. Hey, it only took one dream for Anakin to turn to the dark side. Yeah. Power power of the one thing. Flash ends up escaping, gets chased down, goes through the, you know, the force of despair or whatever it is, Dagobah, is about to be shot by the Baron when the Hawk people come in and basically take them capture, and now we're head off to the Hawkman Kingdom. Which reminded me of Cloud City. Of Cloud City. Yeah. So we'll just call it Cloud City. And and this scene uh, where they're at the Hawkman village... Uh, city citadel floating kingdom floating kingdom i thought had a great well not a great scene but i thought it had a good scene with uh, the trial by combat so uh prince barkin baron you know drink. i think prince baron is your brendan fraser <laughs> thank you thank you very much yes. for anybody who's watched our or listened to our crow episode call back that's a deep cut so Prince Baron is accused of being a douchebag by Prince Voltan and Prince Voltan just wants to kill him or something like that. And Prince Baron says, I will have trial by combat. Baron asked for the, the trial by combat right. and then to asked, who do you want to fight? And he says, I will fight Flash. Right. So now this is round two between Baron and Flash. And I thought when I, when I watched this scene, they have a, a floating disc in the middle of this uh, kingdom 
which there's no bottom because it's floating and they have to fight on it. And I immediately thought of the game of Thrones. You know, I was thinking the same thing. It was the moon door. Yeah. So again, another, probably I would guess uh, an influence. What I want to know is when they were on the floating disc and the trial by combat started, they got whips. Why whips? Why not give them spears, knives, brass knuckles? Plus that spear moved like a, like a table, uh, like a, a turntable and it kept wobbling and, and you know, you think the spikes would have been enough. And then there were the spikes. Ken. Yes. During this scene, did the spikes coming out of the floor remind you of anything? Raiders of the Lost Ark. Temple of Doom. Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. In that, uh, with him in short round. Mm-hmm. Speaking of Temple of Doom and. Well, Indiana Jones anyway is what I was getting at. Right. Munson, uh, Porkin from Star yep. Wars. He was also the uh, government man in Raiders of the Lost Ark when they start talking about the Ark in the library. No. Oh. I do see that. I can That's see That's Porkins. Yes. Right on. Yes. It's a lot of connections. Yeah. That's how great this movie is. Yes, it um, just ties it all together. Like Seven that. Degrees of Kevin Bacon. So it inspired Indiana Jones series as well. That's good to know. Oh, my God. We just gave John more fuel. That's horrible. <laughs> it, doesn't uh, make, it, but, does, it doesn't make it a better movie. But oh we have this, this fight, and it lasts a little while. Of course, this is the scene that is in like every single movie where you know the two guys fight. One's almost about to die. The hero saves his life, and now they're bonded. Yeah, now they, now they can all work together and beat Ming. Now, before this, though... Before they even get to the thing, we, we can't skip over one of the best lines of the movie when Brian Blessed, you know, Dale tells Brian Blessed that Gordon is alive. Gordon's alive? I love that. Gordon's alive? Yeah. So anytime you bring up Flash Gordon to someone who loves that movie, they always have to respond with, Gordon's alive? It's one of those cult lines yeah. that people love. Mm-hmm. You know, we now have the two people bonded, the two heroes bonded, and we're trying to create the Trinity, which is Prince Voltan, but he's not ready to kind of join the group yet because Clytus shows up. And Clytus is Ming's right hand, right? Oh. His, um, he's one of the generals. The generals, right. Uh, he shows up and Flash, does Flash kill him? Because he falls on the spikes, well, right? the prince grabs him, throws him to Flash. Flash flips him up, r- up right onto the spikes. And we have that face-melting scene now. Which kind of looked like what? Indiana Jones. That's what I thought Raiders of. Raiders of the Lost Ark when their faces melt. What did you think of that uh, that death scene? Yeah, it totally reminded me of the end of Raiders. Now, the, the person, the actor that played General Clytus, Peter Wingard, he, he didn't want to die. <laughs> He kept saying, there's going to be sequels. I want to be in the sequels. I shouldn't die here. The director's like, no, no, you're, you're going to die. And he's like, no, no, you can't kill me here. You can't kill me. And I guess the director shouted at him, just die. Yeah. So yeah. I, th- I thought that was kind of an interesting part. But if you know how the movie was supposed to end and how the sequels were supposed to play out, Clytus comes back. Yeah. Shocker on that one. So they all get together. They go after, oh, and at the same time, Ming comes to them. So he's kind of making 
He's uh, trying to bribe Flash. Yeah, he's trying to bribe Flash. He offers him a kingdom, and Flash just wants to save uh, planet Earth. I guess we should have mentioned that Flash's goal is to save planet Earth, and right now they have, at this point in the movie, three minutes for Earth to live. He was three minutes when they were about to attack. So it was probably did, 15. Did you notice the change in filming style at this point? Uh, no. When they started so, shooting Ming up? Basically, at this point, they're shooting him on level. In the beginning, they always shot Ming from below to make him feel godlike. Mm-hmm. Then they now they've shown him at you know level because he's supposed to be on the same level as Flash Gordon. He's losing his power. Later on in the movie, when Flash is fighting, you know, fighting at the end, you're seeing Ming from above. Okay, well, let me ask you this: Ming is all power up into this moment. Ming has been all powerful. He's got a badass ring. He's got a great personality. He's uh, charismatic. He's he's a good character. He's, he's got good. the kingdoms behind he, him. He's a good villain. I'll give you that. Right? How is he losing his power? Well, it's the idea of now he's bargaining with Flash. He could just shoot Flash right there and then and kill him. So why doesn't he? But that's, he's bargaining because he's I'm realizing wondering. that if he had Flash on his side, he you know some, the kingdoms are you know the different kingdoms are starting to rebel. You know, he's got the prince who, he, he knows that Prince uh, Baron wants to attack him. He knows that the Hawkmen are just laying in, you know, wait to attack. But now if he has Flash on his side, maybe Flash could help bring it all back together. Bullshit. Or he could just what? kill all of them. But he's Ming the Merciless. If you kill all of them, who are you ruling over? Uh, new people? You just go capture them. Subservient yeah. people. I mean, yeah. he showed up to Earth to give us some earthquakes. And uh, what was it, hot hail? He said in the beginning that one of the ways he keeps his power is he keeps all the kingdoms fighting themselves instead of fighting him. He enjoys, you know, for the honor of Lord, uh, I believe Dizen is the name of this, the god he serves. Uh, he's got to keep them all under a foot. And then he talks later about, you know, planet Earth and other planets that he likes to attack these planets. And if they don't, if they don't detect his hand in it, in Ming's hand in the attack, he just plays with them and leaves. If they detect Ming's hand, he either destroys them or he takes them over because he wants more people serving him. So here's what so I, I don't think he can kill off a kingdom unless it's to make an example for other kingdoms. Well, here's what I do. Everyone's looking to Flash to lead him. Flash wants to lead him. I hang Flash upside down and cut off his fucking head. He makes a presentation out of everything. Why doesn't he do that? Why does he? Why is he trying to bargain with Flash and lose his power? It Flash just seems, has no collateral. Well, and Flash, up until this moment, really hasn't done anything. Why Nobody do, even. Knows why doesn't him. any bad guy in any James Bond film ever just shoot the guy? Okay, you're talking about a whole different beast. No, he. You he, are talking about James Bond villains who notoriously always tell their master plan, and so does Ming. Ming spells it all out. Clytus spells it all. Ming spells it all out to uh, Zarkov when he's got him down right before he wipes his memory. He spells out his whole plan of why he does everything he does. You know that Ming, that uh, Max von Sydow went on to play a James Bond villain. Oh, yeah. Uh, Blowhart was, I think, his name. Blowhart. Uh, yeah, in Never Say Never Again, which isn't really technically a James Bond film. Okay. Because it's got to be Daniel De Laurentiis. No, it's not uh, I, uh, Broccoli. Yeah, yeah broccoli yeah but um you notice that he bargains with him but when flash won't play he's now going to make another presentation of well what time it's going to kill you yeah well so it, it wasn't like he's bar you know he's you know afraid of flash at this point he just 
offers him a kingdom to work with him to help him bring everything back into line. If you won't play, I'm going to go back out to my ship, make this whole big show of it. So you have time to escape and blow up the kingdom while you're there. Yeah. So at this point, uh, Flash says no. Uh, we get a girl fight. We get a girl fight. So Ming is going to destroy the floating city and he leaves with his henchmen. All the Hawk people have escaped. Uh, everyone is evacuating the planet, but he decides to leave Flash alive on said planet to watch it blow up. Yes. One of the many times where Flash should have died, but didn't die. Cheated death. Flash Gordon. So Flash runs down and gets a rocket cycle. And this is probably, if you've ever seen anything about Flash Gordon, a clip, a uh, trailer, anything. This Ted, is, the movie Ted. The movie Ted. This is what you see. Uh, Flash on his rocket cycle. Uh, the special effects. My God, I think they spent all the money on this effect. That and the lasers coming off of the city. Yeah. And you can tell a lot of them are miniatures. And so I'll, mm -hmm. I'll give them that. I mean, the, the miniatures look good, uh, but I don't know. They're it's supposed to look fake. Too fake. Yeah. I think there's a thing as too fake. But that's just me. You brought up a good point. Would you say the Thunderbirds earlier? Yeah. When you compared it, it, it was supposed to represent a lot of that. Yeah. So we are... Uh, um, Flashes on his unicycle. His I'm, rocket cycle. I'm sorry, his rocket cycle. And he calls uh, Prince Volton. Yes, because he knows how to ride. He knows how to A, ride the rocket cycle, and he's using the CB, and they're all amazed that Flash has gotten off the planet. And it certainly was convenient that he found it so quickly, too. Yeah. So we're coming up to the ending of the film. Our uh, Flash is going to lead the rocket Ajax out of the city so the Hawkmen can attack it and take it over, and then they're going to fly back and attack the city by taking down this big laser shield that they have. Watching other people's reviews of it, everyone agrees this probably was the most lasers that have ever been in any movie, shooting at Flash, heading towards the city. What do you think? Uh, the first thing I thought of uh, after they captured the enemy spaceship and flying back home with it was uh, Transformers the movie, the 80s version. I haven't uh, seen that in a long the time. The animated. That's exactly what the Decepticons do. They mm. take over an Autobot ship and they fly it into Autobot City. But I digress. Uh, the lasers, yeah, he he seemed to dodge a lot of bullets on that one because they were firing right at the rocket. And, of course, something has to happen and uh, Volton, Prince Volton has to leave, but someone has to stay and drive the ship. And, of course, it's our hero flash gordon so that you know i think that has inspired every movie that one of the heroes had to sacrifice himself well it's the captain you know, goes down with the ship mentality, you know just like maybe. the the new star wars or star trek movie that's exactly what i thought of when i was watching when, that you know another way it inspired film as we know it yeah i'll give you that people like to rip flash gordon off because it's a great movie well we'll get there okay so anyway uh one of the best you know again the campy the humor they turn on you know the radio basically to hear what's going on in in Mong mongo city or whatever and oh you, that's right you they hear the wedding you hear the wedding music and it's the traditional earth wedding music you're right i was thinking to myself is that the wedding march how do they have the wedding march on planet mongo the only thing I could think of again, maybe they inspired the music. And did Queen do that wedding march? No, I doubt it. 
Yeah. So moments like that, you're kind of, if you have to ask yourself whilst watching the film, what the fuck am I looking at right now? It kind of takes you out of it. In can my I, own opinion. Can I just say to uh, Don's father, I'm sorry that Don is swearing. We've, we've talked to him about that. <laughs> I can't help it. If they're on a planet called Mongo and a speaking English and B playing the wedding march for a wedding that is happening. I mean, there's no logical reason why they would have this song. They even when doing the vows, the vows are mysteriously similar to like our wedding vows would be, do you take this See, that's woman I was thinking too. to be, and I loved how the, to be your woman of the minute, you know, until you decide to blow her out in space all oh, right, or until you get sick of her. Until yeah, you get sick of her. So yeah, we have that going on. They're getting ready to get married, and Flash and crashes the wedding. He crashes the wedding uh, with the spaceship, and he uh, while he is crashing the wedding, he impales Ming on the front of the spaceship of War War Rocket Ajax. Is that what the name of the yes. rocket was named? The rocket is War Rocket Ajax. Hey Ken, does that make the movie any better for you? No. Why not? You know, I was surprised to have him die in such a uh human way. Yeah. Yeah. And really convenient too. I mean, he just flash flies the spaceship into him. Uh I but did it, it didn't feel to you like a 1960s you're watching like maybe a 1930s you're watching like a black and white serial that you know the bad guy always dies in a really dumb way you know what i thought was the writers and the actors on set were going oh man how are we going to end this how are we going to kill ming well we could just fly the ship into him oh yeah that's a good idea let's do that that's what it felt like to me Mm -hmm. You know, and then uh, we get the whole bit where he slides off the pole and drops the ring and uh, Flash is going to be the hero and spare his life. What did I skip over? You skipped a part there. He basically, he comes off the front of the ship and he has the little interaction with Flash. The game's lost, Ming. Stop your attack on Earth and I'll spare your life. You pitiful fool. My life is not for any earthling to give or take. Your power is fading, Ming. Well, he then takes the ring and points it at himself and zaps himself into the ring. So we don't know if Ming has died. He has basically disappeared. Yeah, see, I didn't get that. I didn't get that he got... Uh, sucked into the ring i thought he just disappeared kind of like uh that's how i took it as well kind of like luke did at the end Uh, of the last jedi i had to watch it a couple times and this last time i noticed that as he's disappearing the beam is coming out of the ring and you can see the light go back into the ring now you get in the end there's a hand that comes and grabs the ring and that's when they do the end the word end with a question mark do you know whose hand that was yeah, but you're skipping to the very, very end. Is that what you want to do? Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, we've already, we don't need to talk about the, the impromptu flash jumps up and says the, 
you know, yes. No, nope, I think we do. Because I think we have to talk about that because that you was. You were talking about an improvised ending. That was an improvised ending. They, they didn't, didn't know how to end it. Yeah. So uh, Sam Jones jumps in front of the camera and they freeze frame it. And then that's not, that's not the ending because then we get to, we cut to them coordinating Prince Basin. Baron. Mm-hmm. Prince Baron. Or other, a.k.a. Barkin. Yes, so him. They're coordinating him. Played by Brendan Fraser. <laughs> so we get them. Uh, they're coordinating him. and Because uh, he's the rightful heir. So what I don't understand really or what I didn't get out of it was, do they get home? Do they get to go back to Earth? In the comic strips, they, they don't go home for a long time. So... Basically, which I thought was so funny, is they have all these different rocket ships that have to be better than what Zarkov flew them there in. Apparently, they can't fly them home. So they're forced to stay for a while. Well, see, I didn't get any of that. And, uh, they, and they really don't play it up because the original plan, Dino's original plan was two sequels. So they had to keep them there. Right. There were supposed to be two more sequels. And that goes into, you know, after we find out that Prince Baron is the new leader Prince Voltan becomes his war general. Okay, so happy ending. They We don't know if they get to go home or not. The credits start to roll, or actually the credits don't roll, but we cut to the ring on the floor Yes, where it fell off. That ring was a powerful ring. Maybe they thought they would get to it. I don't know. It's a campy movie. You always tell me not to question the movie. Though you not. But why wouldn't you pick up the ring? It's an evil ring. You don't want to put on an evil ring. And Ming's spirit may be trapped in the ring. Uh, I'm pretty sure there's a little movie called Lord of the Rings. Yeah. And they love to put that shit on. Yeah. And Frodo lost a finger because of that. So Flash Gordon is based on Lord of the Rings? No, it inspired Lord of the Rings. <laughs> but anyway, uh, to get to my point, it's Clytus's hand. No, it's not. Yes, Clytus is dead. We saw his face no. melt. Okay. The original plan... Was Clytus was one of a series of Ming clones. The idea is that's why Clytus had the mask and looked all weird. Is Ming stayed alive for thousands of years because he would grow, regrow himself and have these clones that he could keep putting himself into these other bodies via the ring. So, so this is another Clytus has come, grabbed the ring, was going to put on the ring. The next movie was going to have Clytus as the bad guy for most of the movie. And then you find out near the end of the movie that Clytus has become Ming. So the whole first movie was for nothing. It was a and what setup you, for the next movie. And what you're telling me is Alien Resurrection got their inspiration from Flash Gordon as well. That's what you're telling me. The Dino De Laurentiis version of Flash Gordon. That's possible. Okay. See, I didn't catch any of that at all watching the movie. You wouldn't have caught that catching the movie unless you knew what the original plan was for the movie. I only know what I'm shown on the screen. But if you notice the met, the glove that grabs the is Clytus's glove. I mean, yeah. it's, well, it's and obviously. Then, and then you hear Ming's, Ming's laughing at, yeah. at, and I'm thinking, well, this whole movie was for not then. Because well, if, Ming- if he's not dead, I mean, and, and you can really say that about a lot of films, but some films will make you believe it. Like um, The Emperor? Well, I thought bringing the emperor was a bringing the emperor back was a bonehead fucking move. But we can talk Agreed. about that. We can talk about that. That's later. another. Story. I, I would be willing to argue that the original Flash nineteen thirty four series and all those little movies 
brought in the idea of the bad guys never really dead. They, they killed Ming off all the time and kept bringing him back. That was one of the jokes of the series is he was never really dead. Yeah. Well, you do that. They do that in comics now. Yeah. And you, no one is really truly dead. And, and you mm-hmm. get that. But as long as the story is entertaining and Which has it was. some weight to it, agree to disagree, uh, <laughs> you, you buy it. You know, the example I was going to use was uh, the first Nightmare on Elm Street. Right, you kill off Freddy, but then in the last closing credits, you bring him back. So everything you just did was for nothing. So another movie that Flash inspired? Possibly. You never know. Flash apparently is everywhere, and now I see why. Seven degrees of Flash Gordon. Yeah, doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it okay. I guess it just makes it. Yeah. Do you know the origin of Flash Gordon? That he was created to compete with Buck Rogers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay, so which would, very similar, mm-hmm, and yeah, I, I yeah, loved yeah. the book Rogers TV show growing up as a kid. Mm-hmm. Maybe yeah, we'll, we'll talk about we that one that day. A lot too. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a quarterback for the New York Jets in the film. Mm-hmm. And uh, did you know that most of his lines were dubbed? You know, this was an interesting point I had never heard of, and maybe you're more familiar with it because you know more about the filmmaking process. The term recast. I had not heard this, that a lot of times when they finish films, they then go back and they have the actors and the actresses redo their lines. It's ADR. It, it's not unusual in the business yeah. to, to clean up the audio. And so I guess uh, Sam Jones was having so many problems with producer Dino. They're arguing constantly. Sam Jones admits that he had a pretty big, e- big ego at the time. His first big starring role, he thought he should be treated like a star. And... He would argue with, with Dino all the time. When he finished his filming, uh, Sam Jones jumped on a plane and headed back to America before he had done any of this recast. Yeah. Uh, and so because of that, they had to bring in another person who they kept hidden for years. Nobody knew who this person was who redid most of Sam Jones' lines. Not all of them. Because but most Sam them. refused to come back. Mm-hmm. I get ADR. Right. And especially in the eighties. Mm-hmm. I mean, cause you're feeling everything's practical. You're outside, you're in a set. Of course you're going to have to redo it to make it sound good. I get that. There are a lot of films out there that the ADR is, you know, you can't notice it or if you do, it doesn't really take you out of it. But Flash's voice, I compared it to them taking away Mel Gibson's Australian accent in the first Mad Max to bring it to American audiences. They redubbed it and made him American. The voice didn't match the 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 inflections and and it wasn't all the time, right? But there were parts where it did happen and it it I don't know. Only about eighty percent of his lines were dubbed over. So there were some lines that were all Sam Jones. Oh, and, and if I, you if you go back and you watch, like I said, watch that documentary, mm-hmm. he does some interviews when he was making Flash or making Flash Gordon. He did sound a lot like, and the person's name was Peter Marinker. Um, he's the one that dubbed the voices. He does sound a lot like Sam Jones back then. So we touched briefly on Queen doing the soundtrack. Other than the uh, opening song and maybe another one, what's on that soundtrack? Each band member took a segment of the movie and they wrote specifically the music for uh, that part of the movie. They originally were only given the first 40 minutes of the movie that was even made. And so what they did is they watched the movie as they were making their parts and they timed certain key changes to certain actions in the movie. So even the movie, the music that doesn't have a lot of lyrics, Queen wrote a lot of it. 
Well, and 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 some of it you can really tell because yeah. of uh, the way the music is going and how it sounds. I mean, Queen yeah. has a sound. Apparently, uh, Dino wanted Pink Floyd to do it. All right, so uh, Flash saves the day, saves the world, saves every one of us, saves every one of us. All right, so I think we are at the point we are going to rate Flash Gordon. John, your movie, you're up. Should we? Oh, we didn't explain the ratings. We tend to give one to five uh, based off of five being the best. And often uh, the closer to five means it's a movie that if you're scrolling through your TV guide and you see that this movie is on, you're going to stop and watch the whole movie. If you're only going to watch a few little tidbits of this movie, then you're probably going to give it closer to a three. If you're going to skip over it and not even care about that movie, it's closer to a one. I think you guys kind of know where this is going again, what I talked about in the beginning. Looking at exactly the purpose of this film, the way that it was meant to be, what Dino De La Rossi visioned for this movie, which is it's a comic strip. It's a newspaper comic strip. It's meant to be campy, unbelievable, over the top, just ridiculous. The colors look like a comic book. Like look like you were looking at a page in a comic book or looking at the newspaper, the Sunday newspaper with the colors. It just it looked like that. The lines, the dialogue, all of that absolutely ridiculous, but meant to be absolutely ridiculous. And if you look at the movie for the what the goal was and what they accomplished, considering that so much of it, they kind of made it up as they went, I thought they did a phenomenal job. And like I said, people can't say Flash without the ah, because Queen knocked it out of the park. That soundtrack is just amazing. You should go back and listen to just the whole soundtrack. It's a fantastic Queen soundtrack. I think I will. I think I. Yeah. I think if I took away one thing from this film, it would be the soundtrack. Now, I will throw out a quick little story before I give my rating. Is that Ken watched the movie with his wife Maggie, and right after the filming was done, I received a text message from Maggie. I love that gal. Maggie. The great thing about Maggie is you know you're going to get brutal honesty. Right after she finishes seeing that movie, I get, John, I'd like my $3.99 rental fee and two hours of my life back. The only redeeming quality of that movie was the soundtrack. And I would like everyone to know, I sent her $3.99. That was very upstanding of you. Yes. So going back to my review, again, looking at what this movie was meant to be and looking at what they accomplished with everyone that they have playing these characters, I'm going to give it a 4.5. And the only reason I don't give it a five, because I think it hit all its marks, is there were certain people I thought who underacted. But other than that, again, I got to go with a 4.5 on this because I think from Dino's vision, he hit what he wanted to create, whether you like it or not. I wonder if there's ever going to be a movie that you'll give a five to. There are movies out there, and it's probably in the uh, the helmet. Because, you know, we've got four more of my movies in there. You want to go or you want me to go? I want to, I want, Don, I want you to go because I want to hear Ken's last. All right. <clears throat> my review of, or my rating for Flash Gordon. And you went with 4.5. I will watch it every time because I will call my friend Nate. And then why let is him it know not a five based on what you just said? Because of certain actors. I thought they could have been cast better. If it had the perfect cast, 
than I would have given it a five. That's a fair point. I mean, the cast, the cast is huge. Every time that Dale came on and she had her lines and the pillow fight and all that, it pulled me out of the fun and the campiness of the movie. So otherwise, like I said, it's the closest I can get. All right. <laughs> yeah, back to you, Don, on your review. Uh, okay. Uh, so I sat down and watched this last night from beginning to end. Uh, the From the opening uh, sequence to the uh, ending of the film, I was thinking to myself, what exactly am I watching? Um. The story is uh, very basic, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, uh, but it's the way you tell a story that I think makes uh, a good movie. It was choppy. It was way overacted. Every time Topal was on screen, I wanted to sing If I Were a Rich Man from Fiddler on the Roof. Um, So that takes me out of it. I saw for your eyes only because that's oh, where I first saw him. Yeah. For your eyes only. Absolutely. Um, Max von Saito was a rare treat. Brian blessed was fun as Volton. Again, this movie had its moments, but not enough moments for me to stay invested or, uh, care the, uh, the effects to me, even for a 1980s movie, uh, took me out of it. They looked cartoony, almost South Parkish. Uh, again, this is just my opinion, and opinions are like feet. Everybody has them, and everyone's stinks. Um, so, I watched this movie because it was in the helmet, and I went in, and I really did go into it with an open mind because I had seen it before. I knew what I was getting into. I just didn't realize it went on for as long as it did. Um, so yeah, I am going to go with a 2.5. If it is on TV, I will skip it completely. Uh, really the only thing I liked about, you know, any of it was the soundtrack. Uh, queen has made a classic and you're right. People everywhere you go, if it's flash, it's followed by the rest of the song. Um, so yeah, 2.5 for me. Ken. I feel like that's going to be generous for Ken. Now, come on. Hear me out. So, John, you have gone on about the movie hitting its mark and how it was paying homage to the comic and such. And this movie does have a very strong cult following to it. And the cult following is done out of love because the movie takes them back to probably the first time that they saw it. And I saw it back in the time, and I was very meh, unimpressed with it. It was nothing special to me, per se. Familiar in general with the comics, but, you know, the more I hear about how this movie is hitting its mark and it does everything that it's supposed to do, I, I didn't get the playbill when I saw the movie saying, this is what the movie's supposed to be doing for me. And since it doesn't tell me this is what it's supposed to be doing for me, and it doesn't spell it out for me on the screen, I'm thinking, what the hell is this? You you want to rewatch it with me? And so I am thinking that this movie does a very poor job in executing that. I think that something else that you might look at for a movie that does it well 
is Christopher Reeve's Superman, which comes out, when is that, 1976? 1978, I believe. 1978. Yeah. And that is a similar sort of origin. It's a comic. It starts out in its original state as a comic, and it's put up onto the big screen, and it doesn't come across anywhere even close to the hokiness of Flash Gordon. And I feel like that the 1978 version of Superman hits a home run for putting a superhero onto the big screen. But I felt like that Flash Gordon, it didn't do any of that for me. I, I didn't have any of of that um, that passion for the movie. And so watching it again, I felt the same way after the movie was over with seeing it the other day with Maggie. It just, in general, did not give any sort of, oh, yeah, to it. And in general, I did like Ming the Merciless, but that was about it. And for the most part, I was just like, okay, next scene. It's, it, it just kind of sort of drug on for me. Okay, now we're going to go do this. So in the end, I will be generous and give it a two. So King gives it a two. I give it a 2.5. And John gives it a 4.5. You know what? I like that you gave it a 4.5. I'm I like that you stand behind it. I like that you defend it. That is a true true movie fan. Uh and you know, my hats off to you for that. They have a Flash Gordon convention. If I could attend it, I would. Um so we are at the point now where we need to pick our film for the next uh podcast. I picked last. Is it back to me already? No, I think it's me. Right, so for those of you who are keeping score, which I know you are not, we each put five movies into a, a Bronco helmet, and every week at the end of the podcast we pick one. I have no more entries left as uh, we have rated all or watched all of mine. Ken has had three, and this was John's first. So I still have four left you in there. You still have four left in there. And next week movie is it's funny uh my friend and i uh, were just talking about this film today and he said you know what you guys need to do you guys need to do a coen's brothers movie and i said there are only two coen brothers movies i would probably do the first one would be oh brother or oh brother where, where art thou awesome and, movie and the other movie is the film we are discussing next week the big lebowski excellent is that yours Yes. Yes. Okay, so now Ken is down to one. I have none, and John still has four. <laughs> and you know what? I'm pretty excited about that, because you know what that means. We're going to get more of yours in a row, and I'm pretty sure Highlander's in there. So now I there think are, it is, too. So yeah. now there's three mystery ones that we don't know, and if they are any, if they're as good as Flash Gordon was, this will be an interesting time. All right, so that is our podcast for the evening. Uh, thank you for taking the time and listening to us. Uh, if we bored you, we apologize. If we made you laugh, good for you. Um, and if we pissed off any Flash fans, it's all Don and Ken. You can send the emails to them. Yeah. Uh, where can they reach us at? At our website, threeguysinaflick.com. All right. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for joining us. See you later.